Leadership File on Premier. If you hear the words Generation Y or the Millennials, I wonder what comes into your mind. Technically, these labels are for people born in a particular era, the early 80s to the early 2000s, hence the term Millennials. Anyone aged 15 to early 30s, basically. So you may be aware that it's the very age underrepresented in the churches in the UK. In the Church of England, this age group is 5% against around 25% of the general population. Statistics from England Church's surveys shows that between 1975 and 2015, there's been a steady decline in the proportion of this age group in local churches. Now, of course, stereotypes abound. One Guardian article by a professor of business psychology at the University College London said that this age is full of paradox, ambitious but lazy, hyper-connected but self-obsessed, non-conformist but materialistic. Well, to join us to speak about discipling millennials, I'm joined this week by Rich Johnson, the vicar of All Saints Worcester and the New Wine Regional Director for the South West. He has a particular interest in this topic. So welcome, Rich, to the Leadership Farm. Hi, it's great to be with you. Um, uh, just a few biographical questions first. Uh, 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 part of your training and development was at Holy Trinity Cheltenham. Uh, that was the start. And then All Saints Peckham. Uh, bef- and then off to, to New Zealand, I understand. So talk, talk a yeah. little bit about that start. Yeah, well, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I came to faith just as I left university and found myself uh, doing a PhD in Cheltenham and rocked along to the local church, which turned out to be a great, lively church. And uh, I kind of haven't really looked back from there. It was there when I first realized that actually God was calling me to be involved in church leadership, not school teaching, which is what I always thought. And uh, yeah, we've just uh, tried really to be obedient to what God's called us to do next. And that ended up with me being ordained into the Church of England uh, to go out and help plant a church in Auckland, uh, which was an incredible opportunity. Uh, And then we came back to the UK again in response really to the leading of the Spirit to take on the church that we currently lead here in Worcester, uh, right in the city centre. So... Yeah, interesting journey. And uh, I have to ask, your PhD was in what? Uh, completely unrelated. It was to do with African uh, land redistribution uh, under Nelson Mandela, South African land redistribution. Yeah. So really useful. Well, no, <laughs> so what, what, under what discipline was that? That was uh, development studies, okay. so ge- geography and development. Oh, yeah. splendid. Oh, great stuff. Yeah. Good. Um, so I mean, what made you interested in the millennial generation? Well, I think um, it's two things, really. Uh, The first is that when I came to faith in my early 20s, so I'm late Gen X, really, if you want to use those categories. Uh, This was sort of um, late 1990s. Lots of conversation at the time then around how the church needed to reach my generation. And there were all sorts of conversations. There were books. There was conferences. You had the whole emerging church conversation, um, fresh expressions. All of that came out of that. And, And it was all very, very exciting. But the reality is that actually without you know being too blunt about it most of my generation haven't been reached and um and i guess part of me thinks well hang on a minute we can't make the same mistakes again when it comes to the next generation the millennial generation so so part of it is born out of probably godly frustration with uh, the church um but i think it was particularly kind of um compounded if you like that's that interest that sense of call really to to try and uh, lead and minister with and to that, that generation when we were in New Zealand, where we really found that the church plant we, we helped lead really did connect with that generation. And we learned a whole load of stuff there that really fueled, I guess, a passion and a commitment to, to doing more of that back here in the UK. 
it's, it's those two things really that shaped that commitment I have. Yes, indeed. And in fact, I hadn't connected this, of course, but there's been a famous study of um, why people have left church in New Zealand. Yes. Um, uh, the name escapes me of the uh, of the author. Maybe you can help me out. But, yeah, uh, I can't remember either, but I have read it. Yeah, it's yeah. very interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, there are a variety of definitions of uh, of discipleship around. Um, and for the purpose of this interview, what, what's, what's your definition of, of discipling? What, what are you looking for? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think for me, uh, part of uh, the thing we've got to kind of get right when it comes to mission and evangelism is some big, bold, beautiful ideas of what it is to follow Christ. And so for me, discipleship is simply becoming truly human. It's becoming what God created us to be in the first place. And so to be like Christ is to be truly human, as we were created to be. And I think that opens up a much more expansive, exciting uh, way of life in Christ for people. Um, so for me, discipleship is helping people discover who they are in God, to become all that he created them to be. And, and really simply, I just think church is the plural of disciple. So a church is a family, a community of people on the, the same discipleship journey of, of over time being transformed into true human identity. And uh, I think that's the biggest, most exciting way to understand it. Oh, I, love, I love the church, plural of a disciple. That's, I love that. That's a lovely <laughs> way of putting it. Thank you. I mean, of course, becoming truly human implies um, having a, an appropriate <laughs> outlook on, on who Jesus was and what yeah. he was like. Um, yeah. Not a churchianity view of Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's getting back to that kind of uh, very clear um, theological view that Jesus uh, incarnates himself into humanity uh, and fulfills the law, uh, which is what it is to be truly human. And and, and in doing that, extinguishes uh, the sin that's in the world and the power of that, which is death. Uh, And so Paul writes in the New Testament of of Jesus as the second Adam, uh, the new human. And uh, but then Jesus, of course, says, well, everything that's true about me is now true of you through the, if you have faith in me, which is why Paul has this refrain of those in Christ, mm. you know, putting your trust in Christ, the person and power of Christ. Mm. And then Jesus says, everything that's true about me, I extend to you, but everything I have, I give to you. Um, and so he liberates us to follow him in the way he's already gone, which is becoming that which we were all created to be in the first place. Uh, so it requires good biblical narrative, uh, mm. good biblical worldview, um, good theology of, of the whole of Scripture, not just kind of some of the systematic theological principles that perhaps we know, but it's having them in a coherent way that you can actually enter into an alternative worldview uh, as a Christian um, and live differently into the world, uh, if that makes sense. No, it does. It's wonderful, yeah. Um, I mean, I... I'm always nervous of stereotypes, but I don't know if you recognise millennials in my introduction. There was this um, piece, you know, said that they're full of paradox, ambitious but lazy, hyper-connected but self-obsessed, non-conformist but materialistic. I mean, uh, do, do you have a kind of working definition of millennials that you kind of work towards um, when you're thinking about discipleship? Yeah, I do, and, and I think it's important to do that because... It, oh, the data is really interesting that actually there are very distinct differences within these different generations that we can identify. And of course, there's fuzzy edges around the transitions, but but there are some um, well-established trends now. And obviously, we have to be careful with stereotypes. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, a millennial, sometimes called a Generation Y person, uh, generally that's defined as those born between 1984 and 2002. Um, And there is a... um, a lot of data saying that they are paradoxical, as you've said. Uh, I think what's interesting is some of the research on why that is. Um, 
the book I always recommend to people on this, and I know you'll probably come back to books later, but it is a book by uh, a guy in America uh, called Tim Elmore, uh, Generation IY. Uh, and he says, actually, there are four um, trends that um, within culture that have created this paradoxical generation. Uh, he says that they're an overwhelmed generation. So there's a lot of stress and depression and suicide uh, in, in this generation because culture is overwhelming them, the pressure that, that we put them under. Uh, that they're overconnected. So actually, um, you know, the hyperconnected world in which we live is actually unhelpful for people and it creates disconnect. Um, uh, they're overprotected. So um, health and safety has gone mad, etc. Actually, yes. they, there's a lack of resilience in yeah. life. We've protected them from. Um, I mean, my parents let me climb trees and fall out of them and all of that sort of stuff, but we don't do that <laughs> yes. anymore. Yes. Um, and actually, they've been overserved um, because we're in a consumer service culture. They've become overserved. And, and actually, he says that um, some of the paradoxical behavior that we observe in this generation and often learns us to kind of write them off or get frustrated with them is actually the consequence of the culture that we've created in which we lead. Yes, indeed, yes. And so I think we have to be really fair to them mm. and say, actually, they're not necessarily choosing this. They're perhaps, if you like the byproduct of a whole load of things we've chosen. Um, which, so I found that a really helpful insight, mm, actually, no, understanding is. why we experience this paradoxical generation. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of, it, it's, you know, criticising someone for worshipping the idols that we've put in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. Of, <laughs> absolutely. It's a bit hard, a bit harsh, yes. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. Good. Uh, and, uh, and I outlined that the church demographics suggest the millennial age group are leaving church they're not being attracted to church um i don't know if you've you know pondered what 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 that is what it is that we're not doing well or how we're not reaching them better yeah great question and and i think there are some observable trends on both of those things but also there's increasingly some data to support um uh, the alternative which is that the alternative which is actually some of them are being drawn into the life of the church and many of them are being kept Mm, in church but it's about what kind of churches and what those churches are doing I think when it comes to why a lot of that generation is leaving, and they are still leaving in their droves, I mean, I, I would say it's probably, I've tried to think about this, I think there's, there's essentially three things I've observed over the years, uh, and particularly as I travel around now with my new wine role, I, I see this more mm. and more uh, over the, all, all over the place. The first is that actually they're bored, uh, and, they, and they want to be challenged. And, and church, uh, we're, not give, we're not challenging them. We're not inviting them into this big, mm. bold, brave dangerous life with christ is actually quite a sanitized safe christianity and that's boring and they don't want a part of it that's the first thing i think many of them leave the second is actually they want something deeper a lot of the people i spend time with say it just feels like the the spirituality is quite shallow and what i find fascinating is how many of the generation that we're talking about are discovering afresh uh, some of the ancient traditions of the church and the ancient practices of the church, uh, things like liturgy and uh, sacramental theology, a lot of which we kind of um, had to get rid of as part of the charismatic renewal. Yeah. Um, I mean, the phrase I often use is this idea that the baby gets thrown out of the bathwater. Yeah. And I can understand why in terms of the, the tensions that were going on in the church at the time. But what's fascinating is that they are finding these things for themselves in churches that don't do them, and it's giving them a depth to their spirituality and their theology and their understanding of uh, discipleship and mission, and particularly around formation and becoming like Christ. Those things are, are actually keeping them in the church or, or drawing them back mm. to the church, but, but they leave if it's too shallow, um, if it's the same old thing week in, week out. Yeah. Um, and then the third reason I think they, they leave uh, is because actually they want to be involved shaping and leading the church, and they, and they feel like they're still having to wait for their turn. 
in a culture that's saying, go for it now. So uh, there's some clues there, I think, as to what we can do differently. Um, as to why, why that generation isn't attracted, I, I think one of the things we've got to wake up to as a church is to realize that our culture is actually asking a different question now to the one that we are trying to answer. Uh, when I was uh, in my early 20s, the question that we were all asking was, is Christianity true? And uh, it's not that this generation don't, uh, the millennial generation don't ask that question. It's just that it's not the first question they ask. Uh, the question I think they're asking in a world that is post-Christian is, does it work? Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, and if they can't see uh, individual and, and church uh, corporate lives living in such a way that show that it does work and it is different and that it offers something alternative, then, then why would you be attracted into that at all? Um, whereas we're still training people in apologetics, which is still needed, but it's, it, but it's not enough. Okay. Um, and I think when you um, help uh, their peers, that, so those within the millennial generation who are still in the church, when they are invited into that bigger life and you help them live a robust, authentic kingdom life, actually that's attractive to people because it's, a, it's saying to their peers, look, actually this does work. And I, look, this is why I live differently. And so we're seeing here in Worcester, uh, 20-somethings coming into the life of our church from a totally unchurched background, no faith connection, but they're drawn in because they see something in their friends. Um, but we're not trying to tell them Christianity is true. We're trying to say, guys, there's a, there's a better way of living. There's a, there's a new, true human way that our culture actually doesn't offer you. Uh, and we can probably come back to that a bit later. But I think there's a whole load of things in, in all of that, really. Um, and so some of, the, some of the reasons why they're leaving uh, or not coming in the first place are, are actually clues to what probably is missing and what we need to do differently, yeah. uh, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Well, you're listening to Leadship Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Rich Johnson, which is the Vicar of All Saints, Worcester. We're talking about discipling millennials. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined by uh, Rich Johnson. Rich is the vicar of All Saints uh, Worcester and the new wine regional director for the Southwest. Uh, we're talking this uh, week about discipling millennials. That's uh, those born around about 1984 to 2002. Uh, anyone who aged around 15 to early 30s uh, today. And particularly the, the, the challenge that there is to the local church, both to retain those of that age group and also to reach them for the first time so so rich we, we've touched on before the break a little bit of um you know when it comes to discipling millennials the kind of approach you take you, you talked about um maybe they're leaving because they're bored they want it to be deeper they want to to shape church themselves presumably uh, one of the reasons you've got 20 somethings coming into your church is that you're trying to create that that kind of church which they can um tie into is that right yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're by no means experts, but we, we're, we're kind of sticking to our uh, guns on a, some convictions, really, around what church needs to be if we're to reach that generation, to keep them and to reach them. We, we talk in, in All Saints here in Worcester about um, reaching Generation Y or the millennial generation, uh, discipling them and then releasing them. So there's reaching, discipling and releasing. You've got to do all three. Um, I think, t to have any hope of, of doing what we're talking about. And uh, we, we've, I guess, kind of developed an approach that we're seeing fruit from, and uh, we're always reviewing it and tweaking it. But um, uh, we, we've worked on five, if you like, kind of approaches or principles that we stick with. The first is that we're really determined to, to create a kingdom-focused church culture here, and not, not just for that generation, but for the whole church. Um, 
because I think that's what Jesus talked about all the time. And I think what what you do the minute you have kingdom conversations is you invite people into that bigger, more demanding way of life in Christ than, than perhaps what, as you said earlier, can end up feeling a bit more like churchianity. Um, and, and the kingdom uh, narrative that's all the way through Scripture gives them this coherent worldview for making sense of all the disconnects that, that are shaping them in, a, in our current culture. Um, so the focus isn't just on church. The focus is, uh, is very much on being part of the church, but understanding that as the church, we are on mission in the world. And therefore, um, you can have an integrated spirituality. You know, what you do on a Sunday affects what you do on a Monday. And, um, but actually, you know, it validates people's sense of call to be artists or doctors or whatever it is um, as kingdom people. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think we have to really recognize is that this generation, the millennial generation, they don't see a disconnect or a distinction between worship and justice. Uh, for them, it's all integrated. And, and that has to affect how you do uh, gathered sung worship, but also how you organize church. And part of what we've done is we've just said to them, guys, what are the causes? What are the things you want to champion um, as your worship? And, and actually, for our guys, the, the main thing they've connected into um, is the, the anti-trafficking uh, um, movement, uh, particularly for us, it's Hope for Justice that we have a partnership with, but there are other similar organizations. And, and that's, the, that's the issue of the day for them, and it's a felt one. And so, so we said, guys, go for it, because that's your worship. That's what you want to do. And, and they lead out on that, and they're helping shape our engagement with that um, as late teens, early 20s. I mentioned earlier that many of them are rediscovering some of the ancient ways of the church, you know, liturgy, um, a, a better theology of place, some of the shared practices. Um, you know, we, we place a high view on, on communion, for example, and we've tried to teach into that. And, and, and that's really helping them grow and form and shape. And it, it's not instead of, you know, worship, teaching, ministry, and lots of vibrant sung praise. It's, it's as well as. Um, uh, I think for them, authentic relationship is so key. And so a huge emphasis here is on getting them into peer-led small groups, uh, having a, lots of parties, having more fun, not taking ourselves too seriously all the time. Uh, and then finally, just um, really trying to actually connect them into the wider church because w one of the, the, the odd things is that they, they seem to be a fiercely independent generation. And in one sense, they are. But actually, they're, they're really desiring to be part of a wider family. And so they want to be part of uh, a multi-generation church. And so we've really pushed hard a, a, an agenda for mentoring across the ages, uh, whether that's a younger person mentoring an older person or an older person mentoring a younger person. But that's very much about sharing life together. It's very intentional. Um, we happen to have someone in our church who's brilliant at it. And uh, But that's been really, really significant for us. And, and the fruit of that is, I think, Christians who are excited again about following Jesus, committed way more to the church than, than I've ever seen, but actually really making quite big decisions about what they do with their time and their money and their callings and, and living very intentionally as kingdom people, not not taking the promotion that would take them to another city, but but staying rooted in the local church here and the local community. And as I said earlier, what we're seeing now, just the early signs of that is people coming to faith. And so, so we baptized 15 people uh, recently, uh, of which five uh, were all people who'd come from a non-church background into the life of the church through their friends who they just see are on fire for Jesus. And, and that's so exciting. Oh, that's terrific. Terrific to hear. And and how have the the, the Gen Xers and the um, or the other the other age groups I can't even think of um, uh, kind of responded to some of these changes, uh, or or does this take place within a particular grouping um, in services? 
Yeah, I mean, we primarily create the space that I'm talking about within our Sunday evening worship gathering, um, which they have a huge say in terms of shaping, Mm. leading, hosting. So um, I feel pretty old. I'm 38. Um, We usually have someone in their late teens, early 20s, helping lead the service, leading worship. Um, They shape the the environment. That's huge for them. So they get to design the space and how it's set up. Um, Lots of creativity around that. Um, So... That's very much their space. Now, what's fascinating is that that's actually attractive to a whole lot of other people too because it's theologically driven um, rather than kind of stylistic. Um, Mm. And so those for whom that resonates, they feel just as much a part of it. So we have this wonderful lady in her late 80s who comes every Sunday night and she's there, you know, in the mix of it all. So so it's not a kind of an exclusive group, but we have given them space and permission to create and to innovate, to take risks, to try things, not just in terms of Sunday night, but how they go about community projects they try, new ministry initiatives, new mission initiatives. And, and I guess I'm just wanting to say to them, guys, go for it. You know, the kingdom is inherently uh, one about change and trying new things. We've got to try new things. And I've got to get out of the way, basically, but, but not disappear, you know. And so um, the wider church, I think, have, have found that that, that culture, which... Uh, we're creating has implications for them and it may look different but they're 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 sharing in that sense of let's take some risks let's create culture Mm -hmm. so actually what we're finding is that gen x's and above they're they're kind of they've got a renewed passion for faith and church and mission because the wider culture we're trying to create and and the theology driving that is is having the same effect it's just um it's a bit more said a bit more sedate Mm -hmm. (laughs) shall we say because life stage is more complex um and so it's less intense but it's the same idea (coughs) Well, I mean, it's, it's terrific to hear these things, Rich, and um, and to hear how you're how you're working these things out. Um, uh, some listeners, will, this may be the first time they've thought in these terms. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned Tim Elmore's book. Yeah. Um, can you remind me of the title of that? And then any of the other books that? Yeah, it's uh, Generation I Y. Tim Elmore. Um, okay. It's a great book. Um, I'd also recommend um, a book by a guy called James Lawrence, who works for CPAS. It's an oh, Anglican yes. mission yeah, agency. Yeah. Uh, it's a Grove booklet, actually, very short but brilliant, called Engaging Generation Y. Okay. Uh, very practical. He's really done loads of research, so that's very, very helpful. Uh, the other book that's worth reading um, is a book called The Millennials by a guy called Tom Rayner, uh, again in America. Um, there's all sorts of stuff out there, but they're all essentially saying the similar sorts of things. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, um, you know, sad, sadly, times defeated us, Rich. But it's been uh, been terrific to to focus on on this particular topic. Not least, of course, because as you, I'm sure, aware from your new wine work, but also just by being a, a leader of a church in the UK, this is continues to be a, a massive challenge for the UK church. I think Peter Briley recently said that for every person who comes to faith in Britain, five people will die in that particular calendar year. Yeah. So you know, we the trends are not not good but it's fantastic to hear of uh, some upward trends and some some of the things you're doing and uh, no doubt within the new wine network some of these things are going to be filtered out as well yeah absolutely brilliant yeah, thank well, you well no, thank you thank you we've been listening to leadership file with me andy peck i was joined this week by rich johnson rich is the uh, the vicar of all saints worcester no doubt you've got a website rich if uh, if listeners are in the worcester area and looking for a church yeah it's simply allsaintsworcester.org.uk terrific and uh, you may also if you're um, you know, a new wine attender or interested in the new wine uh, uh, events that take place there's various leadership conferences and other things and 
classically, of course, the um, the, the camping down at, uh, at Shepton Mallet uh, in a last week in July and first week in August. I, I, yeah, I'm there. That's the, right. I'll be there the last week in July. Yeah, um, so will I. I'll be there both weeks. Fantastic. So we'll look, look forward to touching base. Uh, yeah. There. Brilliant. Great. Well, thank you so much for, for, for being my guest. Um, and thank you for listening. Uh, do tune into Premier's uh, website online, um, www.premier.org.uk, and you can listen to archive versions of the Egypt file, including this one, in due course. Look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.